in the last Free Speak podcast, uh, we looked at the issue of artificial intelligence and its impact on journalism. And in conversation with Mattia Peretti of the London School of Economics Polis project on journalism AI, we focused largely on the rollout of artificial intelligence in newsrooms and what this concept really means. Uh, we did stop short of looking at practical ways in which media owners and managers are currently exploring the potential of this tool in enabling the work of journalists. And so today I'm happy to be able to chat to Stili Charalambus, who's been an innovator since he co-founded the Daily Maverick in South Africa in 2009. Stili, who came from a non-media background, I remember he told me about that when we met at a seminar in Ghana a few years ago, but he took on the task with great alacrity and passion, and he's currently the CEO at the Daily Maverick, and I'm particularly interested in his take on Daily Maverick's plans on implementing artificial intelligence and machine learning, and how and whether digital advances can take good journalism forward as well as help to sustain media in a time of great crisis. So thanks so much for joining me for this discussion today, Steely. Thank you, Gwen, and uh, excited to chat about this topic. Great. In the meantime, for everybody out there, I'm Gwen Lister, your host of the NMT's Free Speak podcast, which you can access on SoundCloud and iTunes. Welcome to part two of our discussion on artificial intelligence in the newsroom. Steely, let's start by basically getting down to basics. If one really digs down into the definitions of both artificial intelligence and machine learning, as it's also called, this is all really about the use of technology, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in this field. I just kind of know um, a little bit about it, enough to know where we want to go with it, how we want to potentially use it. Uh, we've already started using some machine learning algorith algorithms in our work, uh, especially on the business side of things. Um, and, you know, uh, machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence. Um, it's using algorithms to create uh, predictive outcomes based on structured data sets okay. so you know think of think of columns uh, in a spreadsheet for example you've got to have these fields and you've got to have data within those set fields and so that sort of structured data at, at a larger scale is then used to be analyzed and then to create uh, algorithms that help us predict behavior and so we can use that um, you know we can use machines to help us uh, figure out um, you know, what kind of content we should put in front of people, uh, who's likely to become a member or subscriber. Um, and so we can put more relevant content in front of them, whether that's journalism or otherwise, or marketing material, for example. And then AI is, is you know, is a much larger, uh, the much largest sort of field of study of, uh, of, of that machine learning is a subset of. And so that will include, you know, unstructured data. So think of, uh, Siri, for example, right. you know, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to speak in a structured way. Uh, you can just speak normally, and and you know, Siri will use natural language processing to take that voice command and then translate that into you know machine readable uh, instructions, and then do something with that based on based on that input. And so, you know, that's generally how I sort of try and keep my wits about me when I'm thinking about these topics. 
Okay, that's that's interesting because, as I say, we're looking at it in regard to how it can enable the work of journalism. But what I'm hearing from you also is that it's got bigger use than that, and that is also just to help us understand what our audiences want or need to read and who our audience is. So, yeah, it seems to me it's it's quite a lot bigger than, than I originally imagined the topic would be. Uh, Stilly, also just, you know, in preparing for this podcast, you had referred me to an article in The Fix, which focused on uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning in emerging market newsrooms. Uh, they referenced this as the third wave of disruption in the media sector, following on the heels of the first, which they say was the web, and secondly, uh, social platforms. Uh, this also suggests that the role of artificial intelligence and machine learning is augmentation rather than displacement, because the latter is obviously a fairly common fear when it comes to artificial intelligence, i.e., um, it plans to replace the jobs of journalists. Your views on this, Tilly? Yeah, Gwen, I think sometimes we, we just need to remember humans aren't always the best tools for some jobs. And you know, so why not get machines to do that? You know, so you know, I'd rather prefer to focus on the opportunity. You know, if I think back to another sector, for example, imagine how pilots felt when, you know, the autopilot was first introduced. Um, you know, people must have felt the same sort of fear. But, you know, what it did was it took the mundane parts and the mundane tasks of, you know, when the airplane is up and safe and in the sky and on a on a planned route. You know, pilots don't need to be 100 um, percent, you know, uh, focused exactly on what they need to do. They can, you know, they don't have to have that full attention. They can use it for other things. They can use it in a monitoring perspective rather than, you know, actively flying. And so. Um, we can use the limited uh, sort of bandwidth that, that humans have to be more engaged in the more critical decision-making process. And so I think we can apply a similar sort of approach to that when it comes to journalism. Okay. Um, we, can, we can use machines to um, help us increase the amount of data that, we, that we're looking at, right? And so if we look at another industry, portfolio managers, for example, have this massive universe of investment opportunities right. that they need to assess. They can use machines, they can use AI to help scrape the data that they need to filter the you know huge amount of investment opportunities down to a narrow amount that they can then go and apply the critical decision-making process and the nuanced decision-making process that goes into selecting investments for their clients. And so I think journalism, media, the business of media, the process of creating, um, evaluating huge data sets, um, there's massive scope and opportunity for me in terms of how we can use this to ultimately create a better service for the public who we, you know, who we are, are going out to bat for day in and day out. And so it's a, it's a huge opportunity for us that I prefer we, we lent into it and we figured out how we want to use it in line with, you know, our mission and our vision and the goals that we want to achieve as an organization. Absolutely. And I think those two practical examples you gave of how it is used uh, were great because a lot of people, as I say, there's still not much understanding really of of what AI in short really means or machine learning for that much. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but you know, the word disruption is often used in regard to these concepts we, we're discussing today. 
So, you know, I just ask you, what does the word disruption really mean in the context we're talking about? It often seems to me that the word has a fairly negative connotation. And yet, obviously, one wants to, as you've already suggested, turn it into a big positive for the media industry. I say this, Steely, because when I looked at um, how they defined these major disruptions to, to media, the first being the web and the second social platforms, I mean, I remember back when television uh, first came into being and, and we in the print media at that time thought, oh my goodness, that's it, our time is over. So I'm thinking this isn't maybe, the web wasn't the first disruption, but maybe it was. But how must people understand disruption in a really positive concept for the media going forward? I think disruption in, in this context is a, is a significant change of the status quo. And right. what we need to become comfortable with is the fact that we're going to be in a perpetual state of potential disruption, right? The only constant is change. Um, but unfortunately, as humans, we're, we're creatures of habit, right? And we, and we love predictability. Um, we want to know if we do X, then Y is going to be the result again and again and again until one day where that is no longer the case. And so I think the problem that we have as humans is is that, you know, we create these attachments to the way things are. Exactly. Um, when everything in in the world is is impermanent, right? Now, you know, and those attachments are the things that cause um, result in pain. And, you know, I, I heard, uh, it reminds me of someone uh, who told me this, you know, change isn't hard. Resistance to change is hard. Absolutely, and uh, and so if we're in a in a in a mindset of being comfortable with change, of having a you know a growth mindset, a continuous state of learning, um, if we have frameworks for how we want to innovate, uh, and that we're you know, constantly trying to innovate, um, then we'll be in a much better position to be able to adapt and and also the the forward planning that we have to have as organizations that the leaders of our industry need to be preparing us for is that, you know, we know this will always be the case. So how are we preparing ourselves? How are we planning for this? How are we designing our organizations? How are we developing the talent and our people's capacity uh, to keep innovating and to um, keep incorporating technology and to help technology be an enabler of our ultimate goals? And I think, you know, that's sort of the foundational uh, mindset and thinking and practices that we need to be implementing in our organizations. Right. And I think, uh, Stili, you've said it well, um, and that's one of the reasons really that I'm talking to you. Um, because if I look at myself, I might describe myself as somewhat of a dinosaur uh, coming from the era of hot lead many decades ago. And you coming from the background you've come from seem to take a much more open um, and less resistant approach, as, as you mentioned just now. And also in the course of preparing for this podcast, I read the following description about you, and it reads as follows. He's passionate about solving the disruption of media industry and focuses most efforts on new revenue models, product, technology, and membership, unquote. So coming as you did from this non-media background and combining the skills as you've done, I'd love to hear on your take on this statement and why you are so much more forward-looking, uh, perhaps that's the right phrase, uh, than many others in the, in the media industry today. 
Yeah, Gwen, I, I think I'll caveat that first part. I don't think it, you're, you're ever possible. it's ever possible to solve the disruption. Whatever right. solve we get to is only temporary. Uh, and then, you know, that, that wheel of disruption and change, you know, starts again. You know, I started my um, my media career in 2009 when, uh, you know, I had a fortuitous meeting with, with our founder, Branko Brickett, who right. had many, many years in uh, in publishing and, you know, w- was a disruptor himself. You know, yes. and, and, you know, that's where the name Maverick came from. And, uh, you know, uh, but we were born into two hugely disruptive uh, forces that were playing out in media. The first one, social media, as you mentioned. Um, and then the second was, um, you know, being born into this phenomenon of state capture in South Africa under the Zuma administration. And yep. so, you know, fight, fighting these constant battles of trying to figure out what sustainability uh, look like right. um, for us and, and, you know, and keep trying to sort of figure this Rubik's Cube problem uh, out for ourselves. And, you know, we did that by... You know, um, so thriving, you know, which is obviously a focus on just making sure that we were able to get from one payroll to the next. Right. But also, you know, never, you know, we didn't have the answer. And so the, you know, the thing was, well, what can we try next without leaving the core principles and the values of the kind of journalism that we want to that we want to do and that we want to continue to do as a service to the public of this country. And so it was under that sort of environment of having to continuously try new things, um, not having a predictable or large revenue stream that would make us want to protect that. And and I think what the media industry suffered from is a classic case of uh, the innovator's dilemma, which is that thing that makes you uh, successful and profitable is also the thing that prevents you from being innovative because it swallows up all the focus, all the attention, all the budget, and all the bandwidth, and, and you do whatever you can to protect that. And right, and so if you're launching something else that's new and in- innovative and, and disruptive within your own organization, it's going to be shut down pretty quickly by, you know, by people who have the power in that organization. And, exactly. and this is the, the the theory that Professor Clay Christensen came up with when he when he coined the term innovators dilemma and, and the, the theory behind that. And I see that, you know, the media industry was a classic example of that, um, you know, the fear of, of killing the golden goose uh, and then also not designing organizations adequately in order to address that you know he he felt that it wasn't actually possible to solve the innovators dilemma within the same organization but there's been some you know some thinking and some uh, strategizing and theorizing beyond that to say it is possible to design an organization and to be innovative in a way that these two things can exist within the same organization and not necessarily having to be spun out and so you know those kinds of organizational design strategic Strategic thinking and innovation planning is something that I've spent a lot of time sort of, you know, getting stuck into in the last couple of years. Exactly. And I'd like to just go a bit deeper into that, Steely, because it's it's very clear that you've been an innovator from the inception of the Maverick. And, and really, it came at a time when maybe not exactly then, but the writing was pretty much on the wall for what we know as as traditional media back in 2009. You've also used the phrase innovate or die in your writings. Uh, so 
Maybe you could describe to us a little bit more how you think artificial intelligence fits into journalism's current sustainability challenges and this whole question of innovation. Where, where do we go? How do we go forward to make sure that particularly good journalism doesn't just survive but thrives as well? Yeah, uh, firstly, I, I wouldn't say that I was responsible for much of the innovation in, in the early years of uh, Daily Maverick in my experience. I'm, you know, most of that was all down to our founder, Branko Brickic, who had a dream and a vision for Daily Maverick. Sure. And I really spent, you know, most of the early years just trying not to sound stupid. Um, and so there was an incredible, incredibly steep learning curve for me in trying to figure this all out while you know, the industry was was basically imploding. Right. And, you know, the rules were being rewritten and we had no idea which way it was up. So um, it was really just trying to, you know, get my my sort of bearings and figure out, okay, which way is north and where do we go from here? And I think uh, it, it's very difficult to innovate in an environment like that. And I think, um, you know, when you, and we saw this with a lot of media organizations and, and traditional, uh, traditionally successful and, and legacy media operations, um, it's hard to innovate when you're retrenching and when you're losing talent and when people are, are, are walking not only out of your doors, but out of the industry because, um, it, you know, it, it's dwindling, there's political threat, there's economic threat, there's physical threat. And all this stuff is going on. And so, you know, I, I sympathize with a lot of um, a lot of people in the industry that it is incredibly tough to try and innovate uh, under those circumstances. Um, Especially while also trying but, to do the business of adaptation, as you say, and, and getting used to change and also having all these other, you know, huge uh, challenges to face. Yeah, I, I think it was Socrates who said, if you... You know, if you want to wish disaster upon someone, give, grant them sixty years of success. Right. Um, right. First, and and you know, which which speaks to you know the innovators' dilemma, and that's exactly what happened. You know, is that media organisations had extended periods of success, and in that time, um, you know, managed to stave off disruption because you know there was an element of protection in in having. Uh, higher barriers to entry into the channels of print or licensed broadcast, for example. Correct. And so we basically just kicked the disruption can down the road until it came for the entire industry within the space of a decade almost. And and so, you know, our disruption um, was a little bit more intense, but it comes for every organization. And so when we look to the future and opportunities for AI and how that fits into the world of journalism and media, it, you know, it's both a threat and an opportunity for us. Exactly. Right? On the threat side, we we know this quite well. Uh, we can see that social media has harnessed the power of AI to build a better mousetrap for advertising revenue, although it must be said without being held to the same standards that we are and without the same, you know, responsibilities and, totally. and uh, yeah. duty of care that we that we employ. Uh, we're also seeing how bad actors are able to sow disharmony and drive wedges in society by using these tools. Um, but then on the opportunity side, we can use it to deliver a better, more relevant uh, and efficient service to our audiences, right? Um, as I mentioned, you know, uh, from putting the right uh, uh, kind of journalism in front of the right kind of audiences, um, being able to make better editorial commissioning decisions, being able to assess larger sets of data, uh, being able to build better products and to build better journeys 
to membership and other methods of financial support for media. So there's an incredible array. And I think just like any tool out there, you know, you can, it can be used for uh, negative or, or challenging or disruptive uh, outcomes, or it can be used in an opportunistic way to create a better service uh, for our audiences. And, and I think that's what we should focus on. Exactly. And I want to come quickly to the topic of investigative journalism. But in the meantime, I just want to thank everyone for listening to Free Speak, which is a podcast of the Namibia Media Trust, where we discuss all things media. I'm your host, Gwen Lister, in discussion with Stili Charolambos, co-founder of the Daily Maverick in South Africa, about AI in the newsroom. Stilly, on the question of investigative journalism, obviously something that is a key focus area, uh, not just for the Maverick, although it is for you too, but for a lot of media houses now who see this as a way forward really to save good journalism and to give people more in-depth, if you like, if, if that's the correct phrase, um, investigative material to read so they can best inform themselves about what's going on around them. How or will AI facilitate the work of journalists in this most critical area of reporting? I mean, I've heard what you've already said about data and so on, and the how machine learning can really facilitate the work of reporters who have to go through, and it's hugely time-consuming, um, especially if you've got a big data dump or something like that. But can you give specific examples, perhaps, of stories that you've covered recently where AI has really speeded up the process when it comes to data, for example, or has helped the, make the job of your journalists easier in digging deeper? Because sometimes you think there are some tasks of journalists that simply can't be done uh, by means of AI or machine learning. But as you've pointed out, data and things like that certainly can. Yeah, um, you know, one example does spring to mind, Gwen, and, and, and that is the one of, you know, if, if we think about, you know, uh, investigative journalism as a, you know, uh, as a process of connecting the dots, exactly. right, and, and, fig and figuring out, you know, uh, how this party relates to the other and, and, you know, the motives and, you know, what can we, what, what kind of insights can we glean from the data? And, and so entity extraction is one that we use quite a bit with large data sets. Okay. Uh, and if you think about it, if you've got, you know, huge amounts of, of um, pages and pages of, of documents, contracts, uh, email communications, bank statements, for example, and, and, you know, and when we did the work on the Gupta leaks, for example, exactly. is being able to extract uh, entities. So whether those are uh, people, places, um, organizations, for example, being able to extract those from documents that have been OCR'd, for example, um, where we're able to read that and to create relationships between documents and between a uh, series of documents, for example, and then and then being able to analyze thousands and thousands uh, of documents in a much shorter period of time, and then to see how those relationships fit together, you know, across this. And so that's incredibly useful for investigative journalists, uh, and then also being able to analyze a lot of the metadata of of documents, um, you know, where these documents were created, on whose machines they were created, when they were created whether they've been altered, all these kind of things can be done at scale 
which would have taken um, you know individuals uh, a much uh, longer period of time and may not necessarily have had the time or the skills to do that. And so we can use these tools um, to be able to to extract those insights and trends and and those relationships and to analyze those definitively. Um, in a much uh, shorter space of time. You know, I will say that investigative journalism is still very much a labor-intensive, right. uh, very nuanced uh, practice. Um, but there are ways that we can use tools to to be able to cut down the amount of time that is required to connect those dots. And then let's also not forget that once those pieces of journalism are created and published, we then have to get that in front of as many people as possible for that work to achieve the impact that we hope for. And so we must think beyond that, you know, clicking publish is the end of the is the end of the effort, right? We still have to package that. We still have to put that in front of the right people or the people who are most likely uh, with whom it's most likely to resonate. And so we can use AI to better package it. Uh, break it down into a series of tweets, put that out onto social media, give it the best chance of success to um, to to obtain a, a larger reach. And so we can use AI in distribution. We can use it in um, in ways of potentially resurfacing that investigative piece that we put so much work and effort and invested so much time and money into um, to resurfacing that down the line and not necessarily just in the first 48 hours after it's been published. Um, And so these are all different tools in different facets of journalism and investigative journalism that we can, that we can use to um, ultimately help us achieve what we're, we're setting out to, which is, you know, high impact public service journalism. Exactly. And giving, as you say, those investigative stories, which are public service in their own right, the maximum exposure, but I'm still left with the kind of question as to whether those same AI and uh, ML um, tools are also looking at how one can maximize the revenue from those. But maybe just to go on to slightly, something slightly different, it seems to me that you know most media houses, to some extent or another, are already in fact using machine learning and AI to varying degrees. They might not even know they're actually doing it. Um, and as Mattia told me in the in the first podcast on this topic, uh, big media are probably still streets ahead of smaller newsrooms, particularly those on our continent. So again, I'm seeing a kind of north-south divide in terms of these kind of huge technological advances. I don't know if you see the same, but what do you think it's going to take to close the gap? Because obviously, if one compares the Daily Maverick to the New York Times, you simply don't have... Uh, the huge resources they have at their disposal to really put a lot of effort into going forward on AI, and likewise, even smaller newsrooms on the continent. What are you thinking will will help to close that gap, Steely? I think, firstly, I, I agree with you on on that divide. We're definitely seeing uh, the bigger, better funded uh, media organisations of the north uh, investing heavily in that. Um, the New York Times has seventeen hundred journalists, but they also have seven hundred people working in product and technology, and 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 with that will be a huge data science team as well. Um, the Globe and Mail in 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 Canada has fifty data scientists working in their newsroom. I mean, they are they are putting out 
a product which they are licensing to the rest of the media sector. And so, you know, they work in aid of that. So uh, it's definitely there. Um, I think a, a couple of things have to happen. First of all, is the acceptance by our industry leaders that AI is an opportunity right. and is part and is part of our immediate future, right? And then we shouldn't focus on the threat, but rather the opportunity that it presents. And let's sculpt our own way of how we want to work with with these tools, right? We can see there are already a lot of um, examples of success. And successful implementations across a wide variety of elements of, of media and journalism that we can choose how we want to work with those that will be beneficial to us. Right. We need leadership to lean into this. The second thing, uh, which is sometimes a bit more challenging, is we need the skills in order to, to best make use of this. We need dedicated skills, uh, data analysts, data scientists, technologists, um, you know, to be able to make the most of this, right? Uh, because right now, a lot of the AI implementations, a lot of the use cases, a lot of the tools are highly uh, customized and bespoke implementations within the within um, uh, each organization. So, and of course, the third is 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 funding, right? In order Absolutely. to do all of this, in order to invest in innovation and AI technology. And uh, to do that, we need the funding in order to do that and also to fund the skills, um, skills which are in huge demand in other sectors. So we're competing not only with other media companies for, for those skills, but we're competing with banks and, you know, techs and fintechs and edutech uh, um, uh, and, and health organizations with much bigger budgets than we have. So, you know, how do we, how do we attract those kinds of people and how do we afford those kinds of people? And then I think lastly, I think, which I mentioned right now, a lot of these implementations are highly customized. So I think when, we're able to move towards more plug and play kind of solutions where a newsroom in South Africa or Zimbabwe can use a tool as a service and that it can pay a monthly fee rather than this huge customized implementation, then I think adoption will speed up uh, in terms of how we can how we can use that. So, you know, we're starting to see things like A B testing of headlines. You know, tools like that, homepage ordering, uh, content recommendations, all these things are, are essentially driven by AI technologies. And so, um, these will, most of the, more of these will become plug and play and affordable. Um, but the real deep learning that is, you know, specific to each organization is still, uh, very bespoke at this point in time. And that makes it extremely difficult for underfunded, uh, organizations that are struggling for sustainability to be able to invest in that. So we need to figure out how we can make all of that all of that happen. Right. And it seems to me also, Stilly, that, you know, one of the major changes I'm seeing to the world of journalism or media over the decades is the fact that cooperation and sharing um, has become a much bigger concept. You know, if I look back to the 80s and so on, how media entities would work in their own right, you know, in their ivory towers, whether it was on scoop journalism or whatever it was, never sharing, uh, never talking about things. And in as much as investigative journalism, for example, now has become almost a cross-border, it, it's happening that, you know, you'll find media entities, especially as uh, reality bites and, and finances are hard to come by. There's a lot more cooperation in investigating major stories cross-border and also, I think, 
maybe the same needs to happen with the sort of movement towards um, integrating artificial intelligence is in the newsroom is much more of the above, so that the bigger share with the smaller and everybody sort of gets on the same page. Um, but still, one of the things that bothers me about this discussion, obviously, is I sometimes sort of see ahead a media industry that is filled with data scientists, engineers, and developments developers, um, with the central role of the journalist getting lost in the process. You've already mentioned a couple of examples about how newsrooms are taking on. Uh, basically, I don't know if you'd call them techies like this. Um, is this a sort of legitimate concern that a lot of the technological advances might stifle the work of, of the real journalists, getting lost in, in all the detail of AI and machine learning? Um, look, anything is a possibility. And I think without the right leadership, without the right vision and mission and you know, having clear strategies and outcomes that organizations want to achieve, if that isn't in place, then, you know, anything can lead your organization down the wrong path, right. you know, let, let alone something as, as, as powerful as, you know, as AI, for example. So I think those things are fundamental and foundational to any organization with regards to any investment in, uh, in the future, you know, yeah. um, and, and organizations need to be clear on that. And if you are clear on that, then, you know, then something like AI really does present itself as an opportunity. And, uh, you know, if we look at uh, the New York Times, for example, they have more journalists now than they've ever had working in their newsroom. And a big part of that is how they've leaned into uh, innovation, how they've realized they needed to have a much more technologically enabled and, and data-driven approach to what they do, which has ultimately made their journalism better, which has made more people want to support them financially and become, you know, paying subscribers of the New York Times. And so I think, again, you know, anything can be, be a risk. Anything can be, you know, we can take self-driving cars. We can worry about self-driving cars being turned into, you know, hijacked into, you know, missiles, you know, for example. But we also have a million people a year that die at the hands of you know, car accidents, which are human error at the, you know, because of human error. And so the opportunity is there for us to, is to, is to really make of it what we want with clear direction, clear leadership and having those strategies and outcomes in place. And so if we have all that, then, you know, it really is something that will make us better at what we do. Exactly. And as you say, to make sure that opportunity uh, rises to the top and that the threats are minimized, because I, I know, and I mentioned to Matthias as well, I'm always concerned about the garbage in, garbage out principle. And I remember that uh, happening even when computers were were introduced back in the day. And of course, machine learning and AI can also get things wrong just as much as people um, or journalists can do. But at the end of the day, I guess good journalism is about public service and it's about people. Um, and hopefully good journalism in the future will help people uh, to turn their backs on the seduction of clickbait and disinformation uh, that is so prevalent on social media and instead provide them with trusted information that they can use in their daily lives in order, 
I believe, at the end of the day, to forge a better world. So really, Steli, just your final comments, if I may, as we run out of time, on whether you think we're going to build a better world of journalism um, and for the people we serve with the use of AI and ML. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm definitely in favor of that. I think every business, uh, every organization these days, it, you know, they say is a technology business, right? And, you know, if we look at these tools and what they've been able to achieve, um, the opportunities are, are huge for us. But I think we must never lose focus of the fact that this is a public service and that we have the needs of our audiences that we that we're looking to address and to serve and to create value and to help them navigate this world, help to help them make better decisions. And I think if you look at the amount of manual work, if you look at the um, uh, the ability for machines to be always on making incremental iterations, better decisions that we can analyze our, our decisions um, so that every time we go back and create a new piece of, of journalism, that it's slightly better um, that we can put it in front of more people, right. um, that it's going to be more relevant and achieve more impact. And so as long as we have those foundations clear for us, then AI and, and machine learning is a, is a huge opportunity for us. Steli, all I can do, as I say, is I wish we had another half hour to continue this discussion, but I think a lot of what you've said will also help to change the views of skeptics out there and turn them into converts, especially when it comes to the use of AI and ML in the newsroom. Um, it seems to me we can't go forward without using this at least to the best of its ability and make use of this opportunity. So thank you so much, Stilly, for taking time for this discussion. And to everyone listening, remember to subscribe to our bi-monthly podcast, Free Speak, on SoundCloud or iTunes. Until next time. Thank you, Steli, and goodbye to all.